What's up, guys? This is Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Recently on the Winging It Podcast, Vince Carter and Annie Finberg sat down with NBA All-Star Kyle Lowry and recording artist Rotimi. This week, 2017 first overall pick Markel Fultz joins the show to talk about living up to expectations and working his way back from injury in the NBA. Make sure to check out Winging It on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark. Joining me on a special off-season edition, Nora Princiati from Boston Globe to talk Patriots and Tom Brady, and Therese Paler from Yahoo Sports, senior writer, host of the Yahoo NFL Podcast. Uh, it's going to be a really good episode. We, we talk about Brady with both guests. We talk about the entire league with Therese. It's really cool. So uh, let's get to, to Nora. Nora Princiati, Patriots beat writer for the Boston Globe. Uh, last week, she called me a wife guy. <laughs> it's true. You are a wife guy, Kevin Clark. I don't know about that. What is a wife guy? Well, so can I tell the story of why I think yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I actually, I think this is really endearing, um, which is sort of annoying that I'm going to tell a really nice story about Kevin on his own podcast. But at the owners' meetings, so not last year, but the year before, Kevin is there with his lovely wife. And I see Kevin and he says, man, I brought my wife to the owner's meetings this year and I'm just not getting anything done because I really like her and I just want to hang out with her all the time. And I think, oh, that's, that's nice. That's a nice thing to say about your wife. The next year, Kevin Clark shows up at the owner's meetings with his wife. And I just thought that was adorable. Like you couldn't, you couldn't bring yourself to do it. I I chose I realized something. The reason I wasn't getting anything done at the owners meeting was because there's nothing to get done at the owners meetings. Correct. It wasn't that my wife was there. And it was uh I was just you just sit in the lobby and and you meet the owner you talk to the owners and then they leave and then you just have like an hour of dead time between the next owner coming in with like wearing alligator shoes. Correct. So it's that. So I realized, like, eh, I can bring her again. Who cares? I will not be bringing her. It's in Florida this year. If it even happens because of coronavirus, it's in Florida. It's not on the West Coast. And so it's not a, a short jaunt for my wife. Um, so that's not what we were here to talk about. By the way, I'm a distant third on Wife Guy Power Rankings at the Ringer because we have Shay and Jason Gallagher, two, uh, two extremely prolific wife guys. I'm at least third. Um, but let's talk about Tom Brady, the Patriots quarterback. Uh, Nora covers him for the Boston Globe. And uh, we don't know how much longer she will be covering Tom Brady because Tom Brady might leave. Nora, is Tom Brady going to leave? No. I still think it's more likely that he will stay than he will go. Tom Brady, also kind of a wife guy. We've learned that. Although Giselle has spoken in the past of Tom potentially retiring and Tom has not has not listened as of yet. Well, so Tom is the very complicated combination of wife guy and football guy. Right. And yeah, that, that little dual ecosystem. Uh, That's hard. That's hard to reckon. Occasionally. Right. Yeah. It, it, it is a hard one to reckon, but anyway, I, I am still of the opinion that even though, you know, the Patriots and Brady are, are in this sort of, staring contest or whatever you want to call it, um, where they're just hanging out and it's not like they don't have any contact with each other, but there's just not a lot of movement. I still think 
that it's more likely that he will come back than he will go somewhere else. Okay. So then if that's the case, and I actually agree with you, but if that's the case, can we explain away all of the reports? Like when they spoke on the phone, it wasn't good. And then it's like, oh, they actually, and then two weeks ago was, well, they actually haven't even talked. It's not looking good. All this stuff. Is this just um, pessimism from the Brady side? Is it, um, is it just, you know, Bill Simmons, I did a podcast with him this week and he theorized that basically he was just trying to get a little love, um, in the, in the free agency or the, the pre-free agency period Brady was, um, what is that if he's going to stay and why, why do things seem so pessimistic now? So this is actually an unbelievably fascinating test case because one thing that we know about the Patriots and about Bill Belichick is that it is important to him to treat all players the same. Yeah. And now that is being tested against the player in question being Tom Brady. Hmm. And so far, Bill is holding true to form. Um, For what it's worth, my understanding is that they have had contact. you know, you work with somebody for two decades. It's not all that surprising that there are open lines of communication. I don't know of anything particularly substantial, but I don't think it's it's along the lines of the two sides just have severed communication and, and refused to interact with each other. But from the team's perspective, which is basically Bill's perspective, they, one, don't have all the information that they feel like they need uh, because of the unresolved CBA situation. Mm-hmm. And until they feel like they know what their best position should be, they just don't really want to move, is what it seems like. And then you have Brady, who feels like, okay, well, that's all fine and good, but um, I'm Tom Brady, and I've done a thing or two for you. and wouldn't it be nice if you could just, you know, not roll out the red carpet, but maybe pump me up a little bit and give me an assurance here or there that you really do want me back and would be willing to, you know, try to work with me to create a situation in which that would be workable. And somebody will have to blink a little bit. I you know, the reason that I still think he's more likely to come back than not is that I do think that ultimately this kind of like a rational actor theory argument, right? Like I do think that these are rational actors who will eventually realize that they are the best people for each other in this situation. And so somebody, and I don't know who it's going to be. Although if I had to put my money on it, I would say that it would be Brady will, you know, take a few steps toward where the team, you know, wherever the sort of the agreement point could be here. But right now, nobody's moving. So that's my understanding of where we are. A couple of years ago, I wrote a story when I was at the Wall Street Journal about the times that Bill Belichick said good job to a player. And <laughs> for most of the players, that you can count it on one or two fingers. Like, I mean, literally, it was like, I remember Ninkovich and McCourty and some of these guys, the Matthew Slater, who's like, you know, Belichick's hero. 
it was like they did once, like when they did a nice punt coverage in Denver in like 2009. Like he does not, he does not like to, as you say, roll out the red carpet for anybody. He doesn't like to overly praise. I mean, we had this a couple of years ago with the uh, the the great Seth Wickersham story, where you know, listen, Tom Brady was not happy that he wasn't named Patriot of the Week. I mean, like this is real. We're all they're all human. I mean, there's something kind of refreshing about someone making two hundred and thirty five million dollars in their career as Tom Brady has, winning as many Super Bowls as he has, being one of the five most famous athletes in America and one probably one of the twenty most famous athletes in the world. And he is just human like us and just wants a good job from his boss. He just wants like a Absolutely. way to go way to go, buddy, from his boss who won't give it to him. Yeah. It feels like he sort of wants like dad to come to his soccer game. Right. Like right, just a little little validation. Exactly, a little exactly. recognition. The Ringer has a significantly better um, corporate culture than the Patriots. Is what I'm is 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 what I'm getting here from here. Is that people pra- <laughs> people praise us here, which is nice. Um, all right, nice. so let's get into what Tom Brady is right now. How good does Tom Brady need to be with the defense that we saw last year? for them to win a Super Bowl. And and what needs to happen for him? I mean, like last year, things went off the rails pretty quickly, relatively speaking. Um, I was there around Thanksgiving for the Cowboys game, and I was reporting the story about how good their defense was and all this stuff. And by January 1st, I thought it was going to be like an AFC championship game type story. By January, I was worried they... By late December, I was worried they weren't going to win the division. Then they did, sort of by the skin of their teeth. And then they lose their first game, just kind of get rocked, um, get beaten up kind of by the Titans. Um, Let's assume that defense is generally as good as it was, even though defenses don't necessarily uh, stay the same from year to year. But uh, let's assume the defense is good next year. What needs to happen for Tom Brady and that offense to get to where they can make the Super Bowl again? Well. I mean, he needs higher quality receivers, but he also, and when I say he, I'm talking about Brady, obviously. He also needs to believe in them a little bit more. There were sort of dueling issues for most of last season where, you know, the weapons, ZZZZZ, were not very good, but then you also had a slightly dejected quarterback who um, was fairly open about his disinterest in throwing to any receiver under the age of, of maybe 28 was sort of the cutoff. So, you know, and, and that's not to go back to this impending negotiation or lack thereof, but that's part of this too, right? Is, is what's the level of buy-in and, you know, is he going to go to OTAs? What from a, culture building standpoint is the quarterback going to offer. Um, I mean, I am not in the camp that looked at Tom Brady last year and saw a quarterback who is declining significantly. I mean, I think you see it, you know, maybe 5%, 8%. You see it in, you, you see it in maybe a little bit less arm strength and, and some of the throws, but for the most part, you know, he's still accurate. He's still really the only thing that the Patriots were elite at on offense towards the end of last year, where they just didn't turn the ball over a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that in a funny way, they're built to be successful in that way. 
So I do not necessarily feel that there need to be major, major changes, but maybe you add an Emmanuel Sanders Mm -hmm. and, you know, Mohamed Sanu is healthier and the offensive line is potentially going to be questionable because they're probably going to lose Joe Tooney, their left guard, and quite possibly Ted Karras, their center, and um, their previous starting center, David Andrews, has a medical issue that may or may not be resolved. So that's a whole other can of worms that might be a new problem. But I still think that with fairly limited tweaks and additions, it's a very competitive team next year. The problem is they're the oldest team in football. And at a certain point, I do wonder if Bill Belichick is looking at this and going, maybe we have to rip the bandaid off at some point. Do you think Bill Belichick, if they had to rebuild, would be like, I'm, this is me. I'm going to rebuild this. Yes. Yes. Is it because he's just a football dork and this is what he likes doing? Yes. And I also don't think that in his mind, he would, I think he would see it as something that he could tackle and still win a lot of games and rebuild. And if he were proven wrong in that, he would already be in it. And he's so competitive that he wouldn't let go. So let's play this out. Let's say that we're both wrong and Brady leaves and he wants to go to Tennessee or or Vegas or whatever. What kind of quarterback or what quarterback specifically plays in New England? Is that, does Bill try to go the I know him route with Jacoby Brissett or something like that? Or does he go with kind of a stopgap Andy Dalton type? What, if you had to predict if the worst happens for the Patriots, what kind of quarterback Belichick goes after? I mean, if you want to name, my best guess would be Teddy Bridgewater. Mm. Um, it's a lot of money. I don't know that there's. Yeah, but I mean. I get okay, it. Okay, so He's what good. are they going to. Lake Bortles? Yeah, I don't know. Jacoby Brissett. I mean, Jacoby Brissett's making big money with the with the uh, with the Colts this year because they renegotiated his contract after he became starter. I mean, every right. I guess every quarterback is kind of expensive. That's kind of how it works, especially right. when there's I mean, there's so many quarterbacks who are going to be on the market. And by the way, Brissett wouldn't even necessarily be available unless River signs there. Well, and also now maybe this is a little reckless, and this is why I don't run an NFL team, but. If you're going to go 4-12, and 12, just go 4-12 mm-hmm. and 12 with Jared Stidham and figure out a yeah. little bit more about Jared Stidham. You know? I guess, but the defense, I, I, I think the argument against that would be the defense is a Super Bowl caliber defense in, in a vacuum on paper, obviously, as long as they stay healthy and, and, and all that stuff. But I think you might say, hey, what if we had an Andy Dalton type and we're able to just be competent on offense? He's not going to be Tom Brady, but he's not going to be Jared Stidham either. And then try to try to try to win. I mean, I, I think that there's a problem. There's a kind of a philosophical problem, which is that there are so many good AFC teams that it's going to be really hard to be mediocre on one side of the ball and win the Super Bowl. But having said that, the Patriots seem to MacGyver their way out of every situation to the point that I'm, I, I will not ever, it, I, I will not ever discount their ability to do something that makes me look stupid. Well, no, and I'm I'm with you there, but I think the question is, okay, those options are varying degrees of expensive, mm-hmm. but they're all expensive. 
if you are looking for a cheap, a truly cheap option, I mean, okay, maybe you get lucky with Case Keenum right. or, or Blake Bortles. Or Blake Bortles. Um, but there is a certain amount of... Of Blake Bortles dumb to Blake Bortles. I was going to say risk, but yeah, we can say Blake Bortles dumb. Um, last thing. Is Jared Stidham good? We don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. They like him. But I mean, how many times have you heard a reporter or a team person or just anyone talking about a quarterback who hasn't had to go out there and prove himself? And they, Oh, they really like him, you know? Well, and that happened with Jimmy Garoppolo, and then he played in the Super Bowl. True. That was the one exception True. to the every time this happens in college football all the time is whenever there's a good like a third like a, a junior and he's played three years the college football message boards the fan base will always be like wait till you see this freshman like he's so much better than the junior and then the freshman just sucks and the junior wins the national championship happens all right. the time everyone is constantly talking about how their next quarterback is the best quarterback I will say the one exception is that New England no one ever says anybody's better than Tom Brady. That's true. That I mean, well, actually, we got there with Jimmy in a couple of cases. Not going to name names. But after the after the happened. the three game, the three games where he be, he beat a he played really well. He beat a Cardinals team that we actually thought was good at that point. That turned out to not be good. Yeah, and they then, were not good. And then that was Ju- the first NFL game I ever covered. That was the first. That I just started at the Ringer. Then, Craig, any memories of that game that you want to? Uh, not a ton. <laughs> yeah, we're just going down memory lane. We're all we're all set. Um, and then, uh, and then Jacoby Brissett beat the Texans. Right. And then hurt his thumb. Well, no, well, Garoppolo. Oh, wait, they all did. Everybody got hurt. No, Garoppolo got hurt, but then, um, Brissett hurt his thumb. Right. Played the next game, um, and they got shut out by the Bills. And then everybody tried to goad Rex Ryan into gloating, but he, actually said the right thing, which was Tom Brady's suspended and we played against a quarterback with one hand. So mm. I'll wait for the next win, um, which was very mature of him. I, if I'm not mistaken, the next win never came. That is true. I believe if I'm not mistaken, he just, just went ahead and got fired after that. That is that is my understanding as he, well. He uh he is a, a surprisingly good from relative to where he started. He is actually quite good on ESPN, and no one notices. I'm not sure why. I adore Rex Ryan. Yeah, me too. We used I, to always th- fight with Rex Ryan as as a Patriots media. I remember core. that. Like we would do these conference calls with him and just get in fights. But I sort of I miss him. I uh, I am extremely pro Rex Ryan. I will say this: when I a couple years ago when he was the Jets coach and they were going to the AFC Championship game all the time, he took my, I asked him a question about his, his defense and he took my notepad and he drew out his defense. It was really cool. And he explained everything. Like he gave me the calls and all this stuff and it was so cool. And, I was, and this is when Rex Ryan was like a top, maybe top five coach in the NFL because he had gone to two straight AFC Championship games. And um, I was like, this is going to be such a cool item for me. Like I'm going to have this forever. And I noticed uh, as he has gotten uh, less famous, I, have, I just lost the notebook. Like I used to cherish it and be like, this is amazing. And now I just have no idea where it is. That's my, that's, that's how I know Rex has fallen off. I lost it. Yeah. That, that, that asset, uh, arrow pointing down, I guess. 
Yeah. But good I broadcaster. Good broadcaster. Sneaky good broadcaster. Nor Princiati, anything else we need to know about the Patriots? Hmm. Um they got a dog this year to to um help with the grounds maintenance. Mm-hmm. And so my ripcord is that if this Brady thing goes south, they just have to put the dog front and center. So the Browns tried that. <laughs> They had like That's a team true. dog and then the dog passed away and then they live streamed the, the funeral. Away. I don't want to, actually, I, I saw somebody at the combine last week. I saw somebody go up to a Brown executive and offer condolences over the passing of Swagger, which I thought was very kind. It's, Maybe it's a classy it's a league. Slightly unintentional com- comedy, but yes, very kind. It's a league full of classy people. Nor Princiati. We'll get a Tom Brady update in two weeks and we, this can all... Go, we can stop talking about it for a while. Heck yeah. That was a joke. We're going to talk about it for the rest of the offseason. Bye. Cool. Bye. Joined now by Therese Paler, senior NFL writer at Yahoo, co-host of the Yahoo NFL podcast with Charles Robinson. Therese, what's going on? Hey, Kev. What's going on, man? I, not much. It is, uh, it's supposed to be a dead time in the NFL, Therese. It's not. <laughs> It's yeah. not Tom Brady. That doesn't happen anymore. The coronavirus is on the loose. We got, we got, we're all on the edge of living in a Cormac McCarthy apocalypse novel, and and all anyone is talking about is Tom Brady's free agency. That's how you know it's a thing. Listen, you gotta love football. I mean, people will just completely go into um, all football mode all the time, and that's great uh, for our careers. It it is great for our careers. Yes, that not is the one thing it is break. great for. That is the one thing it <laughs> yeah, is great yeah, for. It keeps us employed. All right, so we're going to preview the the offseason, free agency, the draft, maybe even a little CBA because the league year starts on March 18th, pending uh, anything crazy with the CBA because obviously uh, the vote is out. Next Friday is when when the vote presumably will be announced because the the window closes on Thursday at 11.59 next week. And so, essentially, what's going to happen is that if a team tags two players, and which they can do for the first time this week, uh, they would have to rescind one of those tags next Friday if the vote passes. So it is a confusing time. Uh, it's possible. There have been rumblings that maybe they push league year back. But I, as of now, we have no concrete information on that. So free agency, as of now, starts on the 18th. The draft is at the end of April. There is a lot, there are a lot of moving pieces in the NFL right now. We want to preview them. Uh, Therese, let's start with free agency because I think that the first domino, and you've got a guy you want to talk about, but I think the first domino, obviously, is Tom Brady because there are a lot of teams that would take Tom Brady, and if that happens, that creates a a domino effect that is probably, of all the guys this year, who would create a domino effect, it's Tom Brady. Because something as simple as if he wants to go to Tennessee, well, then all of a sudden Ryan Tannehill becomes a a premium free agent after the year he had last year. If he wants to go to Las Vegas, then Derek Carr becomes available, then the Raiders become a completely different franchise. And if he stays in New England, then they remain an, an AFC contender with a historically good with a historically good defense and obviously the continuity, and they, presumably they get you some help. Tres, if you were handicapping the Brady race right now, what do you see happening in two weeks? I think, I think at this point, it, I, it's so hard to say 
Um, mainly because these teams you mentioned, and of course, there's been a little San Francisco buzz recently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you look at this and you, yeah, you look at it and you really kind of dive in. It's not like just an easy fit for right. him, mainly because Josh McDaniels didn't go anywhere. Right. I feel like this would get a lot easier if Josh McDaniels had gotten hired somewhere to be yep. a head coach. Then that way, that team wouldn't be talking about having to completely change everything they do to fit Tom Tom's offense, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Um, but let's start with Vegas, right? Because I think it would be fun seeing Tom Brady with John Gruden. They open a new stadium. It brings a lot of attention to the place. That's great. But you also have to remember this. The Raiders run John Gruden's offense. Like, it's about (laughs) John Gruden. It's about John's offense. So for him to get Tom Brady, he would have to really kind of custom fit that to what Tom wants to do. Now, maybe he's tired of getting his teeth kicked in by his good friend, Andy Reid, and he's okay with that. Maybe he will do it, but I'm just saying, if he does, I don't feel like there's a long history of that, Kevin. I don't. Tennessee is a place where, you know, they might lose Jack Conklin. Well, to me, that takes away one of the best advantages of going there, or at least mitigates it, which is one just kick-ass offensive line. Yeah. Um, Because Big Jack is awesome, right? So. Um, then you've got A.J. Brown, who's a good player, Derrick Henry, but there's still not a ton of great options around him there. And, then, and they have to pay um, Derrick Henry in some way. And they have to pay Derrick Henry. Um, you know, San Francisco, they do a lot of bootleg. They do a lot of movement stuff. How's that going to fit with Tom, who's pretty stationary at this point in his career? So I, I know what people are saying about New England not being. I just, from a football perspective, it just, I still think the best place for Tom Brady is New England. Because they already know what he likes and he knows what they like. The only way it makes sense from a football standpoint is if Tom Brady just never wants to play in New England again. If somehow he feels right. he's been wronged in some way and doesn't want to play there. That's why I think that I agree with you. If you look at all of these places, it just doesn't match up from a football perspective. Would you? Here, here's my question. If you're John Lynch right now mm-hmm. and, the, and, and Brady wants to come, I don't even understand the side and trade scenario because Brady would be a free agent. You wouldn't have to mm-hmm. give Garoppolo away to New England. You could have an auction for him. But if you were John Lynch mm-hmm. and you were Kyle Shanahan, would you take Brady if you wanted to sign and, and deal Garoppolo? Well, if I was John Lynch, I would ask Kyle what he, what he wants to do right. and be good with it. Because, because I'm just being honest, Kyle's offense throughout the course of the year was so fun to watch. That yeah. guy is a genius as it relates to offensive concepts. So I, I put him in an Andy Reid category where, what do you want, Kyle? Whatever you want to do, right? Oh, you want Tom Brady? You can make it work. Great, we'll go do it. That's how you end up with the most, uh, the highest paid fullback in football. Is Kyle Shanahan says he needs a fullback, <laughs> and and John Lynch says well, absolutely, and then he makes it look awesome, right? Right, because Yuschik was awesome this year. So, um, I mean, yeah. So I, I yield to what Kyle wants to do, but you know, if you're asking me, you know, I I was in New Orleans for the San Francisco um, Saints game, mm-hmm. right? And that was a crazy atmosphere. That was a playoff atmosphere. And he really he really showed up in that game. Mm-hmm. And he showed me something in that game. He also showed me something in the Super Bowl. Did he miss, like, the big throw down the field that would have, uh, you know, kind of got the momentum back on their side? Sure. But I've seen him kind of deliver on the big stage a few times in person. And I'll also say this. You know what else I really like? I like the fact his teammates are kind of coming out and going to yeah. bat. George Kittle put George the Instagram Kittle. up yesterday, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff Wilson outright calling it ludicrous. Like, I really like that. And if I'm Kyle Shanahan, I'm considering if this team might have an F.U. edge to kind of buck 
the uh, Super Bowl hangover, Super Bowl loss hangover phenomenon, which we all know is a thing. Yeah. All right. So let's go back to Jack Conklin for a second because you wanted to focus on him. He's obviously the Titans did not pick up his fifth year option, which in hindsight looks bad. But I, I think it, at the huh. time, mm-hmm. I, I there there was a case to be made for it. I I'm of the opinion you just pick up unless the guy is a massive bust, you just pick up all fifth year options. But I understand mm-hmm. in the moment where they were coming from. But obviously, it was a mistake to not pick up that fifth year option. Jack Conklin, absolutely. Where do you like him going, and what is his value? So Jack Conklin doesn't turn 26 in August and he's basically a kick-ass right tackle in a league where there's not a ton of tackles that are that great because they don't really drill it like that in college. Um, he's really good as a run blocker as well. So, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit like Mays, man. Like you give me some offensive line plays, some run blocking, like we, you know, we can dork out with the best of them. Right? <laughs> so yeah, I, lo- I, I love big Jack, right? Anytime me and Mays get together, you know, we're, we're ready to dork out about football and we're going to dork out about line play. Just so everyone knows, when uh, the, that conversation starts, I'm with them until the line play starts and I leave. That's when I get my check. <laughs> Once everyone starts talking about Mitchell Schwartz, I say, I, 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 got, I got a thing. I'm sorry. You're, you're missing out. You're missing out, Kev. Like the, the right tackle analysis is really on point. But, it, but in, a general, in a general sense, You've got this great right tackle who's on the market, and I mm-hmm. think you rarely see that. He's in his prime. He, in fact, he hasn't even hit it yet. So, to me, this is a really good opportunity for a lot of teams who need to improve their line play to get better really quickly, and that means he's going to make a lot of money. But there's one place in particular that I really like him, and it's the New York Giants. I feel like mm-hmm. I look at Jack Conklin, I'm like, you know what, six, seven, three, ten. A nasty run blocker, and you saw him really punish people in the run game in the playoffs with the Titans. This guy absolutely fits what Dave Gettleman wants to do. And if they can sign Jack Conklin in free agency, that allows them to, at number four, take big Derrick Brown, the defensive tackle from mm. Auburn. And I can't think of a more Dave Gettleman pick than that. And Brown's a guy I heard they like, by the way. So um, they, I, I'm just seeing this as an opportunity for them to potentially get a lot better up front on both sides of the ball because we know that Gettleman really believes that big men allow you to compete. Do you think there's a path for the Giants to be decent in 2020? And do you think those two moves will get them there or are they just so far away and maybe, I don't know how you feel about Daniel Jones, I'll find out in this answer, but is there anything where you say, okay, the Giants the Giants can get there and be a candidate to win nine games? Uh, um, I don't know if I would say nine games, yeah. but I could see him getting to uh, seven or, or eight. I, I, they need some luck to get the nine, but I <laughs> look in this league, you wouldn't rule out anything. Right. Um, I, I think if you get Conklin and Zeitler, those guys can run block. They have Saquon Barkley's obviously a great back and Daniel Jones showed people a lot. Um, that's the makings of a pretty interesting offense. I think, um, you know, I, I, I you know, Shepard is a pretty good player too. So it, that that's the makings of an interesting offense. Now I, I think they got a little ways to go defensively defensively that's uh you know that that's a side of the ball where you know they, they need more help on the edge rush they need more impact players but i will tell you this i liked a lot of what i saw in dexter lawrence kev and if they did draft Derek brown it, it could be like the williams wall 2.0 mm-hmm. if that's a okay, sign me up for that <laughs> that's a lot of athletic that's a lot of it sign me up i'm in i'm ready to go for dexter lawrence and Derek brown next to each other because just like with the williams wall you ain't getting nothing up the middle 
Do you think there are any other free agents when you think about this list this year, whether that's Byron Jones or, I mean, who the hell knows with Amari Cooper or any of these guys? Do you think there's any other guys you say, okay, if if, uh, there are teams that might be a piece away where this is the guy who's going to make a difference? I mean, could could a Byron Jones to Philadelphia kind of thing or something like that? Is there is there a move you can see where you say, hey, I'd love to see this guy go to this team. They could, they could really uh, take a jump up if that happens. I think Byron Jones would be a good fit in Detroit mm. because it sounds like the Darius Slay thing is going to be like, there sounds like they're going to have to move him. And we're going to talk about the Lions here in a little bit, but if they end up with Akuda, um, I'm okay with them trading Slay if they get Akuda and they sign Jones. That's the kind of top notch cornerback play they need to make Matt Patricia's scheme work. And if they can somehow continue to like improve the edge rush, that defense actually does have a chance to be pretty good. In fact, the first month of the season, the Lions' defense was pretty scrappy, and then they lost Stafford, and I think it affected every area of the team. So, um, look, I grew up in Detroit, so I know better than to be too optimistic about the Lions. But if they have to trade Darius Slay, I think they have to go get Byron Jones to potentially make Okuda, um, the great corner from Ohio State, work in the top five. Okay, I want to talk about the draft real quick because this we both wanted to talk about the two and three spot here because I think yeah. the number one thing is whether or not two is healthy because if two is healthy, he becomes in play for number two. And then again, there's more dominoes because then Dwayne Haskins would become available and then number three becomes incredibly intriguing because like you said, mm-hmm. they could get a cornerback that kind of unlocks that defense. I understand that. But then Chase Young would be available at three and then what do you do there? Uh, and or does Detroit try to drop down and, and hold an auction, or do they just take that elite guy? I mean, there's so many things there. What do you find intriguing about the Lions at three? Here, here's what I can tell you: If Chase Young is there at three, you run to the podium. Right. Like I don't, I don't want to see that clock get to like 14 minutes left. Just right. go, just run. Because more than anything, the fastest way, aside from having a great quarterback, like one of the fastest ways to be like really. Uh, competitive and become really good in this league is to have two great edge rushers mm-hmm. and they've got a really good power edge rusher and Trey Flowers but they really need that like rush edge that can do a little bit of all in Matt Patricia's scheme and Chase Young fits the bill the best thing that could happen to the Lions is for Tua to continue to show um, that that he's going to be healthy right. and that all the medical reports are coming the, back. the Lions should start leaking that Tua looks great the Lions should just start leaking these, these medical reports yeah. saying oh wow Tua looks amazing <laughs> Matt Patricia wearing a disguise, jumping on Sports Center. <laughs> and I tell you this too: I, if things go that way, there will be some push for hey, maybe the Lions should take Tua. Right. Um, I'm gonna say no to that for the same reason I would say no to that for Washington. I don't. Hey, I love the player. Like I love the player, but I don't feel like he's a player you can take unless you've got like a history of having a top-notch medical staff, a top-notch mm-hmm. kind of organization one that can that can like really handle this well because if you rush him back and your medical staff's not on point then you're going to basically blow the pick and I, I would hate to see that for his career um so i for the same reason i don't like him going to washington i, I think you know the line should pass we can just let the listener know that detroit and washington are not top-notch organizations they do not fit the bill <laughs> that you describe yeah in the in the in the a great organization needs to handle them so you think even if two is healthy the washington's should go the chase young route I do, um, and I think it would be hard for Ron Rivera to pass on a generation. I agree. I mean, he that was like, the first thing they said when he took the job. Yeah, I mean, he looks like Julius Peppers. And 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 that is, I mean, like, that's 
exactly what we talk about when we talk about, you know, a guy you can just pencil in for a decade. Well, the first thing when Ron Rivera took over, uh, one of the first things that leaked was that he wanted to grab Chase Young and start building that defense. So I agree with mm-hmm. you. Is there any kind of same question with Giants? Like, how far are the Redskins away? Even if they take Chase Young, I mean, it's going to be a while, right? Here's the thing. Um, I think that I actually believe what I hear about like them handing the keys to Rivera and it being Ron Rivera's deal, mm-hmm. which is a good thing for Redskins fans. This is about as optimistic I've been uh, for that organization in like a decade, probably. Um, they fired Bruce Allen and people around the league were mocking them, you know, um, as long as he was there. So that was met with round um, applause. Um, they fired the trainer who had the issue with Trent Williams. Right. Um, and, like I, I feel like if they draft Chase Young, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Matt Ioannidis, Montez Sweat, that's pretty damn good, man. And that's exactly the kind of young, dominant defensive line I could see Ron Rivera really kind of wanting to go to war with. Yeah. And they did draft a quarterback in the first round last year that I personally, um, I, I would not be giving up on just yet because I, I think that he's a young player and I think he does have some real talent as a passer. I want to make a point about Dwayne Haskins real quick because so mm-hmm. the word is is that the, the old staff didn't like Dwayne Haskins, okay? The old mm-hmm. staff was not good. Like, everybody there was kind of bad, okay? And so I, now all of a sudden, it's a huge indictment of Dwayne Haskins that everybody in the building with the Redskins last year didn't want Dwayne Haskins to be drafted? What? Right. Oh, I'm sorry. Who cares? I'm sorry. That's a right. bad thing? Sounds like a ringing endorsement of Dwayne Haskins. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Uh, I think Chase Young is, is, I don't know, the word generational gets used too much, but I think that he's, he's the pick he because is, you just don't know. Yeah, I mean, he just is. And, uh, you know, I, I'll say this too. Like, you know, I, I, what happened with Haskins and the old staff is uh, is proof positive of why, you know, quarterbacks do end up busting because you cannot select a quarterback without the buy-in of the offensive yep. staff, period. You do it without their um, consent, and then his his development gets slow because they don't really believe in him. Stuff starts leaking. Like, this, it's a sign of a terribly run organization so just handing the keys to Rivera and getting out of the way is one hell of a start to kind of turn things around there yep and so then Detroit we talked about it a little bit but then they could get the the cornerback help they so desperately need and you think they can they can that's a nice path forward for them I do I do or Derek Brown I think oh yeah special player as well so what look the Lions are actually in a good spot they just don't it just can't mess it up um whether they get chase young or they get Derek brown or they get jeffrey akuda and they trade down and get any one of those and get brown or akuda, that's a pretty good haul you know they just got to coach these guys up and develop them and um basically just not blow the pick yeah and that's interesting because i i think i heard daniel jeremiah talk about this a couple of weeks ago but it's hard for them because they're in a spot where let's say two is on the board at three well they get some offers but the problem is you can't – there are three really good defenders in this draft, and, and the Lions mm-hmm. have to come away with one of them. And Absolutely. so the problem is that let's say hypothetically, and I actually don't think the type of team that would do this, but let's – this year rather, but let's say that the Panthers wanted to, to draft Tua, right? Well, they're mm-hmm. picking at seven. Well, that's too mm-hmm. far for the Lions to drop down because then they would – be without one of these guys. I think that the if the Dolphins wanted to move up to three, I think that's a little sure. more that they're at five. Yep. That's a little more sensical than they could draft who's ever left or even have your pick because Tua goes three, the Giants take somebody at four, and then you get five. 
but it's a dangerous game to trade down um, when you know what you need. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. Unless the Chargers are interested in the pick and right. you really believe in Isaiah Simmons as a, you know, as a, as a Brian Erlachery kind of linebacker, right. right? Like if you really believe in his ability to be that, you can drop to six. But it's yeah. expecting him or Akuda or Brown to be there at seven. That's not happening. So you wrote about Isaiah Simmons last week and just sort of the um, the way that that, that athleticism and, and that basically Isaiah Simmons is the type of guy you need to stop modern offenses. And, and that's something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast and a lot of coaches and GMs obviously have talked about it where offenses are becoming so dominant, they're becoming so athletic. I mean, good Lord. I mean, mm-hmm. some of these receivers coming in, it's just going to be unbelievable. But Isaiah Simmons and a couple of other these guys are so flexible they can kind of keep up. Can you talk a little bit about just Simmons and kind of what he represents and how he steps in immediately? Because we've seen some of these athletes who are great defenders who have immediate success because of that and because defensive coordinators are, are flexible and creative enough to, to get them where they need to be. Absolutely. And, and, and it, look, it, it's getting harder to play defense, yeah. right? But if you can play it, you got a real chance. And these linebackers that can run and hit, I mean, I talked to a lot of evaluators last week who were just kind of raving about Murray, Queen, and Simmons. Mm-hmm. You know, Queen from LSU, Ken Murray, junior from Oklahoma like these are the kind of guys you need to go to war with today and I think the 49ers has proved it Kevin like look the Chiefs still put up 31 but for like three quarters of that game it looked like San Francisco was going to win and that's big reason for that was their speed and linebackers all three of those guys could run like all of them could run so I think now more than ever their linebackers got to be able to run so I actually I'm glad you brought that up because I'm a huge fan of Patrick Queen as a player you know if a team like Detroit did trade down and they put the right and they the medicals clean on Queen and they put, you know, a big grade on him. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go um, you know, pretty high because that that position, the importance of it and not having to leave the leave the field in passing situations, which is basically every situation now is so critical. So it it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens there. But there are some really good uh new wage defensive players in this draft, particularly at that position. Um, can you talk a bit about what that what that kind of athleticism, where that shows up on the field against modern offenses, and how what they can kind of take away? Oh yeah, absolutely. So, team offenses stress defenses a lot of times um, by putting them in sub packages. So, yeah. like three receivers, the base defense now in the NFL. Um, yeah, three receivers, the base offensive package in the NFL. If you have linebackers that can like run and cover, you can like really match up with some of these pieces, specifically at tight end, that teams are using to try to get numerical advantages of you. And it, they can't just be fast. They have to be good in coverage, and they have to be able to stop the run. So guys like this allow you to have numbers advantages, um, it, it, it allow you to be able to stop the run while matching up in sub-package. So that, that's where it really shows up. Like you got to be able to cover because if, if – I think, as we all know, if you put an extra guy in the box in today's game, you know, good luck, because they're just going to throw the hell out of the ball. So you want to be able to match up with the right numbers against three wide, but if your linebackers are versatile enough to cover and they're versatile enough to run and hit and stop the run, that gives you a chance to not only stop the pass, but the run as well, and it takes away some of the offense's biggest chess pieces. I'll also say this. I think there's a great opportunity for linebackers like this to wind – to, to wind up as like wipe out tight end guys. George Kittle, 
Travis Kelsey. There's going to be more of these guys coming. Yep. And I saw a, I saw a gleam in Isaiah Simmons' eye <laughs> when he was talking about the possibility of becoming a wipeout tight end guy. Mm-hmm. If you have a guy like Der- Derwin James and Simmons, because he thinks he can be that, that can do that, that's a huge chess piece for defenses in today's game. Yeah, and, and it's funny because for, you mentioned San Francisco, and they have Fred Warner, obviously, who is a really great athlete. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple – when he was coming out, I used I named him as one of my draft crushes. And a lot of people on this pod – and a lot of people came at me – not came at me, but reminded me of that and said, you know, how did you see this? What did you see on film? And I was like, dude, he just had really good athletic testing numbers. You have to guess – Yep. At some point, if he's at the combine, he plays football well enough. But from my perspective, that wasn't a tape thing. That was he's athletic and he has good instincts. And then beyond that, if he goes to a smart team and the Niners are that, they'll know how to use his athleticism. And that's why I think that a lot of these teams, whether it's the Ravens, the Packers, mm-hmm. um, the Seahawks have famously done it. A lot of these teams draft athletes, especially in the mid-rounds, because they know that they're smart enough on defense to figure out what comes next. And so I think mm-hmm. that that's – Simmons is obviously a different deal because he is just an elite, elite player and he's going to go in the top 10. But I think especially when you get in those mid-rounds, you can just draft the athletes and, and trust your, your staff to be smart enough to put them in position to succeed. Um, all well, right. you, bet, you better be right, too, because sometimes it doesn't always work when they're great athletes. You better be right, and you better be able to develop them. Because right. if those guys don't end up being solid against the run, teams are just going to pound you to death yep. in your sub package, and you're going to be in trouble. Yep. No, I, I totally agree with that. All right, so you talked to Patrick Mahomes recently. Uh, before we get into what kind of offseason Patrick Mahomes will be having from a, from a team-building standpoint, because he is eligible for an extension, I'm going to guess so have, you've seen him now a handful of times in the offseason, whether that's the parade or, or you know, obviously in the Super Bowl. He's living a pretty good life right now, isn't he? He's absolutely living his best life. Um, you know, Mahomes was really, to be honest, pissed off after losing to Tom Brady yeah. in the AFC Championship game last year. Um, and he really came back like with a vengeance this year, even though his stats didn't fully show it. You know, um, the amount of sway he had with his teammates and the amount he was able to push them did, did increase. And I think it showed up because this team kept getting down in the playoffs and they never quit. So um, for him to finally reach the mountaintop, um, and to do it in his third year takes a lot of pressure off him going forward, you know. And I think that's a uh, that's a good thing when the players is determined as him because he's not about to start letting off. Like he really cares about being great. Um, I, I know, I, I know he, you know, he wants multiple, multiple of these. Yeah. Um, and and, and I, <laughs> I think that this team is gonna is really pretty dead set on defending the title. Yeah. Like obviously, I live in Kansas City. I've been here for 14 years. Like this team, like some, like your boss Bill Simmons, like likes when teams defend the title. Yep. Like I think the Chiefs want to defend the title. I think they're all in on it. So it'd be interesting to see. And their quarterback's going to be a big part of that because he's not letting up at like at all. Are you saying they can win without Sammy Watkins for us? Well, I think they. That was I think a joke. they really want to try to. Yeah, hey, listen, I hear you, but like, and I think they're doing their work on their receivers just in case. Yeah, but yeah. I do think they want to try to keep them. Really, like, I think they want to try to work something out. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you this: like, listen, it's going to be tough, right? But Watkins is a guy who, you know, he does love Kansas City, and they, they yeah. have. They're hoping they can do something. Now you just look at play. the numbers. He used fourteen he million, right? It's a lot of money that can be created, like. You just look at it, you, you're just like, okay, yeah, this can't happen. But 
they'd like to do something. They would. They'd like to find a way to keep it. If you can turn Sammy Watkins into a value deal with some sort of restructuring, then then I can see it. I mean, it's not it's not like he's he's wasted space here. Um, but certainly, oh yeah, he's a cer- Super Bowl hero, Ken. Right. <laughs> certainly, I think it's thirteen point seven next year. I mean, that's that's uh, a little rich, especially when you're negotiating contracts. Speaking of, absolutely. What are we w- best guess on what the Mahomes deal looks like? Um, I when I talk to Mahomes, it's pretty clear. It seemed like. It matters to him to like leave a legacy to win multiple Super Bowls. Um, so whereas like a lot of quarterbacks, if they were in his position, like they could really kind of tighten the screws on a team. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to do now do that. Now who knows? But I just he keeps talking, and his agent Lee Steinberg, they keep talking about the importance of winning Super Bowls, and that means kind of helping the team when it comes to this deal. So it's hard to say like what it'll look like, but. Everything he's accomplished, he could really blow it out. You know, you know, he could really push for some stuff we haven't seen before. You know, uh, you know, longer than Kirk Cousins' deal, yeah. fully guaranteed. You know, tie a percentage of it to the cap. Like, who knows what it'll look like? But it won't be as bad as, it, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, based on the way he's talking and the way his agent. It just doesn't seem like it's going to be as bad as it could have been if they were just hell-bent on getting as much money as possible. So... This the market is set at about thirty five or thirty six right now. Does he hit forty? Pretty close, I would yeah. imagine. I mean, it, at some point, you also have to remember that you know the agent has a reputation too, right? So um, other agents will use that against you if that number is not high enough. Um, I, I mean, I would imagine uh, the, the question to ask yourself is like, what does that contract have to look like to be respectable? So other people couldn't really use it against you. And I would imagine like being around 40 is like pretty important with a significant, significant chunk guarantee. Do you think, I agree with you. I think they could be, end up being 40 a year for four, four or four years and basically fully guaranteed without a doubt. I mean, listen, if, if Patrick Mahomes tried to bet on himself, Almost like what Dak has done and what Kirk Cousins did do. Not that you would do it for any reason, because you have the best offensive coach in the game. You got, you know, there's a million mm-hmm. reasons to stay. But if he wanted to stay, or if, if he wanted to bet on himself and hit the open market, you know how much money that guy would make? Oh my oh. God! I mean, he could clear he could fifty. Oh, easy. It, it, but he would have to wait three, four years, depending on what the mm-hmm. franchise tag rules are in this next one. They basically control him through the fifth-year option plus three years of the franchise tag. So, I mean, that's that's just the reality of the franchise tag. Having said that, 40's a nice number if he gets there. Uh, kind of a follow-up yep. question to that. When you think about someone like Dak, okay, who might be negotiating after Mahomes, does is Mahomes such an outlier that no one even negotiates <laughs> off of his deal? Or does someone like Dak actually then get to eclipse Mahomes? How do you think that that plays out from a value standpoint? Does everyone say we're negotiating off of Mahomes' deal? Or do they say, you know what, we're not doing that because Mahomes won a Super Bowl. He's the best young player this sport has ever seen. And we're going to negotiate off of Jared Goff's deal. Oh, listen, the Asians are absolutely going to push to negotiate off Oh, right. Of I'm saying, deal. will the teams accept that? And I think teams are just like, come on, beat it. <laughs> You know, like I think, like, come on, like, did you win an MVP? Have you won a Super right. Bowl? Have you won a Super Bowl MVP? Come on, you know, well, let's let's 36, 37, 38. Right. You know, I think they try to, and it might. I mean, other quarterbacks' numbers might be pretty close, but I feel like teams will probably take a hard line against it because he is such an outlier. But the agents are going to try, yeah. And depending on how desperate the team is, they might have to meet it. You know, it just 
it, it, that, that's a lot of, you know, ifs and, but uh, look, it, it's all about leverage. Life is about leverage. And um, depending on how desperate those teams are to sign those guys and avoid um, whatever troubles can come with a protracted, uh, you know, standoff with a star quarterback, you know, that, that'll probably play a big role in how close they come to that number. Yeah, and listen, the 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 rule is always that the most recent quarterback is going to be the highest paid quarterback. And I think at one point during the Mahomes contract, he will no longer be the most pay, highest paid quarterback. That actually might happen yep. within a year um, because that's just the way it goes. I mean, when Matthew Stafford or Derek Carr or those guys start signing contracts for $25 million a year, as they did a couple of years ago, they weren't the best quarterbacks in the NFL. In Carr's case, far from it. They just happen to be the most recent to negotiate. Matt Ryan makes a ton of money. He is not the best quarterback in the NFL. He's a very good quarterback. But that's kind of the rule of of paying quarterback. And I I, I compared it and have compared it to real estate in Manhattan, which is every time mm-hmm. you see a building or a, a condo get sold and you go, wow, that was really expensive. Well, in three years, somehow, even though you thought it was ludicrous at the time, it's somehow become more expensive. That's what quarterbacks right. are. If a guy you think, you say, what the hell? That guy's worth $25 million? Well, in three years, a quarterback just as good as making $32 million. Jared Goff is counting $36 million mm-hmm. against the cap. It doesn't make sense. Life is not fair. Quarterback pay is crazy. So Mahomes will get fairly compensated. But then I think beyond that, in a couple of years, he will look like a relative oh, yeah. bargain. 100%. And that's why if you're the Chiefs, you want to do it as fast as possible. Yep. Um, last thing for you, Therese, the Chiefs. Did their did their playoff run change anything in your opinion? You know, you know that team so well. You were a beat writer. Um, you, again, you live in Kansas City. Is there anything you learned about this team and their ability to sort of build going forward that you learned in the playoff run that you didn't know before, or a player that stood out where you said this this guy or this thing could be an X factor to this team going forward that we weren't really thinking about? As somebody who grew up like following like a team that's kind of cursed in the Lions. Um, <laughs> Like the the Chiefs are proof that like that curse can be snapped, man. Cause, like yeah. I know they won a Super Bowl fifty years ago, but and they're not Cleveland, right? But this team, this fr- this franchise, like these fans have been through a lot. Yep. And then they just got this generational quarterback, and I, there's that word I know you hate, but it's true. <laughs> um, it's you know it's true, and it all just went away. So you know I think like in a lot of ways, like if you're a fan of one of these teams that you know the negativity is so real because they've given you nothing to believe in. Mm-hmm. Like the chiefs can be, are really like proof that like, you know, like it can happen for your team. If you get lucky enough and you hire the right people, like it can happen. Like it can happen. Um, Cause what's happened in Kansas city over the last two years has been an outright phenomenon. It, it's been, cause I've lived here 14 and I know the negativity that swirled around this team and the playoff losses. It just, it all went away because they found someone to believe in. So if you're a fan of the Lions or you're a fan of the Browns, you get the right people, you hire the right people, you draft the right guy, it can happen to you too. Yeah, it's funny because I, after Mahomes won the AFC Championship game against the Titans, or the Chiefs did, I wrote an article on the headline, which again, we don't write the headlines, but it was accurate, was Mahomes leads the Chiefs out of the wilderness into the Super Bowl. And I got all yep. these people... Chiefs fans and non-Chiefs fans who were angry at me because they were acting like I was saying the Chiefs were in the wilderness or comparing them to the Browns or whatever. They, As a franchise, they kind of were. I mean, they won the Super Bowl 50 years ago, as you said. They had not won a game with a quarterback they had drafted for three decades. 
Like this was mm-hmm. not, I mean, they were not winning playoff games. They weren't, they were kind of stuck in the middle. And no, they weren't the Browns, they weren't the Lions, they weren't whatever, but that was a franchise that was stuck. And they weren't going to win the Absolutely. Super Bowl. As much, I'm sure you and I are both Alex Smith fans, we're both Andy Reid fans. They were not going to win mm-hmm. the Super Bowl with that duo. It had to be Mahomes. He was the one that got them stuck out of the mud. Yeah, and so I, I think it's fascinating that you caught a little guff from Chiefs fans on that because um, all I heard from them since I covered started covering the team in 2013 was, you know, you know, you don't know, like, wait to the playoffs. There was always a loss in, like, November and December that kind of portended how they would lose in the playoffs. It never failed. It always happened. And it will be after those games in November and December, they will be so pissed, like, via social media, and they call a radio station. Because, like, they knew. Like, they were trained to know that's how they were going to lose. And they had a couple losses that, like, without Mahomes, like, it would have been like that. Like, the Tennessee loss in November, 100% without Mahomes. Like, they lose that same – or in a similar way in the, the, the playoff, in the AFC Championship game, if they even make it that far. But, no, like, they, they were in the wilderness before Mahomes arrived. Maybe they were equivalent with you because they would argue that last year, like, he yeah. let them out of the wilderness because he did kind of break a lot of streaks and, like, bust some ghosts, so to speak. I get but, it. Um, yeah. We we yeah. learn every week that the internet is a very big place and there's a lot of angry people. Yeah. <laughs> Therese yeah. Paylor, senior NFL writer at Yahoo, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, appreciate you, Kev.